Hello and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast. I am your host, Chris, as I uh, usually am, and I'm joined by two of three, as also per usual. Uh, this week we've got Phil and we've got Jez once again. Good evening to you both. Hello. Hi. I shouldn't say good evening. I do this every week. Always fail. Anyway, uh, whatever time you're listening, welcome along. Uh, plenty to talk about tonight as usual. We're going to start by turning back the clock a little bit because at the end of the last week's podcast, uh, we kind of focused quite heavily and rightly so on Leon Barcelona. And uh, we chucked in a little bit at the end and said, well, Ren drew at home and it'll be tough going to Spain and Betis is a good side, etc., etc." And wouldn't you go and know it Ren pulled off just the most fantastic win mm-hmm. in Spain and have qualified. So we want to give that a little bit of love uh, before going full circle at the end of the pod to preview a certain English team they might have drawn for next week. Um, so let's cast our minds back. Um, this, uh, this, this, this win for Ren, 3-1 away in Betis. Uh, Betis Biani and Unu had put them two up inside half an hour. Um, Giovanni Lasalso, uh, of course, PSG fans will remember fondly. Should never ever have left, by the way, even though he's on loan. Got one back, and you thought, mm, "Is the tide turning?" But then on the break, and Niang getting the third crucial goal in stoppage time, and Ren off through. Uh, was that six four in aggregate, if I'm not mistaken? Um, Phil, let's start with you. Were you surprised? Be honest. You're honest. Yes. Um, because given the nature of how they'd uh, kind of collapsed slightly um, in, the, in the first leg, that they, they were 3-1 up and ended up going down, uh, just getting a point with uh, Lainez getting a 90th minute goal. It felt very much like, well, that was a nice kind of hour and and now it's over. And then, of course, at, um, kind of the weekend after, they lost to Reims. And it's like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, when they went away to Betis, thinking, you know, if they get a point here, that would be good. But obviously, away goals will probably stuff them. And, and they just went for it, which was really um, kind of, really reassuring. I mean, I'm still not sure where they play Rami Bensabini, but, um, and we're also not sure exactly where Hatton Ben Arthur is most of the time, but, you know, they, they put in a really good performance and yes, getting, I think the, the third goal was a bit cherry on the cake because obviously Betis was attempting to get an equaliser and, and maybe left some, <laughs> As you say, left some space open for the break for Niang um, to to go through and get the third. But it was um, it was an impressive performance, and you know, Ben Sabini, who knew has done also really well in the in the cup campaign. You know, they've they're, they're in a pretty good position right now, and maybe the Coupe de France that they will be playing soon will be something of a distraction. But um, I think they do have the weekend off because the game away at Nîmes has been postponed. So they kind of they'll be able to rest between the Coupe de France game against Orléans uh, on Wednesday and uh, going to uh, or hosting. Which way round is it now? Has anybody decided oh, on Thursday? Really yeah, it, it's, it's still. Up it in sounds the air. like that was a bit of a screw up. 
it, it's a continuing screw up, especially for people so, that purchase tickets and exactly. travel mm. for both sides. But um, yeah, no, uh, that one is is to be to be continued, and um, certainly Arsenal won't have a break as they play a North London derby before that particular fixture. So Rem will be pleased about that. Um, Jez, I want to ask you, Julian Stefan, thirty-eight-year-old um, coach, came in midway through this season. Just uh, give me your thoughts, really. I mean, this is a, a guy who's coming and just seemingly has just swept the broom clean, has changed so much uh, for the good for Ren. And not, you know, not massive tactical changes. I mean, there has been obviously some, obviously. But he just seems to have got players believing in themselves. Um, and, and yeah, there's been some dodgy results, as you'd expect. But this is a, a really massive result for, for Ren and for, quote unquote, French football not the big sides. I don't want to be harsh on Ren, but you know, people who don't really follow the game will just automatically assume we're Ren. Who are they? So, what's your, what do you make of what Stefan has done and and what the current Ren makeup is? I think he's doing a great job. I mean, I, I, I I'm possibly not going to make many friends amongst usual podcasting regulars, but Ren have been a massively underachieving club for a long time now. They've always had a decent amount of money they've always been able to bring in good managers good players and frankly they should have done better over the years than, than they have done so I think all he's really doing is, is bringing Ren back to kind of where they should be um, for what I think a lot of the problems are, have come from sort of higher up uh, an obsession with completely changing the playing staff every year an obsession with changing the, the managerial staff a little bit too often. And I'm not actually sure that, that Stefan has really changed that much. And I'm, I feel pretty strongly that Lamushi was, was treated pretty badly. I think he was mm-hmm. much, much too quickly. But the fact that Stefan comes from, comes from the reserve team um, and clearly, I'm not sure about whether it's about the players believing in themselves, but certainly he has the players playing for him. Um, there's clearly a very good relationship between him and the players. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's sort of the good. I mean, you know, the Europa League as well, he he sort of took a lot of the credit for it, but Lumushi took them kind of five, five six of the way there. It was only the, the, the last match that he presided over. And, you know, it's still as brilliant a result as, as last week was. I still think it was absolutely two of the goals that were given to Ren in the first leg were absolutely disgraceful. And so Betis mm. can feel pretty hard done by. I don't think it was that Ren collapsed. I think they were outplayed for 80 minutes of the match. Um, so, but certainly they're, they're clearly heading very much in the right direction under him. But this time last year we were saying that about Lumushi as well. So mm. um, we need to see it over a slightly longer period of time. I think. You know, you look at the the squad, particularly the squad that played um, the Europa League last leg. Obviously, Hunu is a great player. Saar is a great player. Ben Sabine is a great player. But he's also dealing with difficult players. Um, obviously, the Ben Arthur situation has, uh, you know, caught fire again recently. But also, Clement Grunier is a difficult character, not in that he's difficult, but his situation is difficult. And by Nyang is also got, you know, some history of, you know, stuff. So, well, you know, just, you know, crushing it anyway. into a tree. Mm. Um, so, 
he's dealing with some difficult characters in that dressing room and also some characters who I imagine will be thinking, I am better than this, where can I go next? And so that must be a very difficult man management situation for him to be dealing with. And you know, the way the Ben Arthur situation seems to have panned out seems to be it's fairly, you know, fairly tame. The rules, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, I'm not um, sure we know that yet. I mean, no one really knows what's what's happened there. And I don't know if it's a long-term thing or not. I think it's probably media trying to find a story where there isn't one at all. Although I'm not, I'm not sure. Which that. is often the case with Ben Arthur. Let's not forget. Oh, I disagree with that completely. I think it's almost always him causing trouble, but I don't think it is in this case. Um, but he is, even if there was no issue there, it does seem strange that he's being mollycoddled and allowed to miss training because he feels a bit tired. I didn't realise he was playing a different match to all the other players. Um, so that might be a slightly dangerous precedent there. It's somewhat ironic then that they draw a club that also have a player who is um, quite likes to miss a training session and has a little bit of illness once in a while. <laughs> it's quite ironic, really, isn't it? It's like the battle of the mercurial, mercurial uh, playmakers um, in this particular tie. We're, we're, we're going to kind of preview it in more depth, hopefully next week when we get Rich back in position. But I do just want to sort of ask you both... Um, Phil, I'll start with you. Is this... Uh, the question I'll ask you is... Is this kind of the end of, I mean, not the end of the road, that would be harsh to say that at this stage, but if if Ren go out at this stage, is that still successful in terms of moving them on in, in this season's competition? Well, it would depend how they go out. Hmm. Um, if it's kind of the weird capitulations they've had, then no. But if it's a decent performance and they just get, hit by better attackers, which I think you have to argue Arsenal will have. Black is that sound, isn't he? Yeah, he's missing both games. Yeah. Ah. Which is a blow. And I look at Ren's backline and if they manage to control themselves and Kubak has a good game, then they're good. Uh whereas your defence possibly is less consistent. Mm. So I think this is going to be a really interesting uh, set of matches. And if, as we understand, it is the the game in Ren first, I think that could be very interesting. I I Um, actually think, I don't know... I want to see Ismail Asar running at whoever you've got a right back. (laughs) I don't. I want to see... I want to see Ismail Assar stay on his feet for once. <laughs> that would be also a, a novel, novel idea. I, um, my thought, Jez, is immediately when this draw was made, um, the, the classic came out, good draw for Arsenal. You know, a lot of people who know literally nothing about uh, Ren or French football, you know the types, straight away, oh, that's the title they would have wanted. Uh, mm-hmm. It's straightforward, etc. Um, I don't obviously agree with that based upon the fact of our... Kubek is really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just the fact that we have a habit it? of being Two really bad. penalty saves in the, in the, in the um, shootout against Brest. I mean, he... Yeah. He doesn't scare easy and you've got the silver and Mexer in front of him. Well, my, I mean, my, that's that's good. I, I personally think. Um, I mean, what do, you, what do you think to this, Jez? I actually think that if 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 the home leg is played first, I actually think that's more of an advantage for Arsenal than it is 
the other way around. And I base that around the the sort of the Barty Borisov effect in that I, I think Arsenal will have learnt their lessons from that. I bloody hope so. Um, <laughs> and my thought is the, the onus will be on Ren to create an atmosphere, um, you know, to get at Arsenal and, and to lay a marker down. If Arsenal come out with anything, sort of, you know, even a one-goal defeat, but I think if they come out of, any, come out of Ren with anything, the home leg, I think, will be uh, winnable, shall we say. Do you, do you tend to agree with that? Or, or do you feel that, that Ren could potentially go to the Emirates shut-up shop and then have that atmosphere ready for the second leg? I think Ren proved the other day that it, it, it depends. I mean, they're, they're, they're two similar clubs in that they, they both can play very hot and cold. And I think it just depends which Ren and which Arsenal turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after Ren did blow a lead in the first leg, he just, just put Betis down as clear favourites. Um, yeah, yeah. Ren, I think, looks, looks better in the second leg away from home. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, in theory, it's always an advantage to, to play your second leg at home, and it certainly worked out well that way for, for Arsenal against Bate. But um, yeah, I, I think Arsenal would rightly start as favourites. Yeah, and, I think that's fair. Yeah, <clears throat> but I think that they're rare and capable of losing at home mm. and winning at the Emirates. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it almost has a sort of. Premier League feel about it in that you don't really know anyone can beat anyone on the night and, and I'm not convinced by by us uh, and and I, I sort of wonder about Ren sometimes I watch and I think yeah this is a there's a lot going there and other times I watch and I think mm, yeah but they're still Ren we shall see uh, it's important to mention as you did there Jez that the second leg was no fluke either they didn't get battered for 90 minutes and come away with three fluky goals they they more the first leg was so yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's that. I don't think anyone can dispute that. Um, but uh, yeah, odd how things work out. Um, but well done to Ren. And uh, as I say, we'll probably preview it in a little bit more depth. Um, I do, I do think the, um, the, the LFP uh, postponing the, the match is, is quite an interesting talking point and also a very, very dangerous precedent for them to set. I'm not, I'm not sure it's the right thing to do at all. Go on. Well, I, I mean, Stefan has tried to tried to paint it as um, it being all about improving France's coefficient. I'm not convinced it is. And the, they did it because Ren said, will you do it because we're a little bit tired? Well, Marseille lost out on the Champions League last year by the odd point or two. I don't remember any of their matches being postponed as they got all the way to the Europa League final. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, postpone it from Saturday to Sunday, fine. And, and I don't, no one, the LFP can't claim that that's not something they can do because they've done it as short and latest enough times recently with all the Gilles Jean protests. And PSG, um, but, uh, but yeah, but to postpone the match entirely. I mean, as someone tweeted the other day, if they get to the final, does that mean when will be finishing their season in, in mid July? Mm. Um, it's so, not fair. Um, which it's which it's not match fair are you their, talking about? Not fair on their opponents but... either. I think it's mean. Yeah. Well, I thought the Nîmes match was being postponed because of the Gilets Jaunes thing. No. Oh, they won't move it to Sunday because of Gilets Jaunes. I don't know about that, but they're it moving. It was supposed they're to be on Saturday. But they're postponing it because of Ren's Europa League involvement. Ah. So it's almost like the league are working with French clubs to give them the maximum chance in Europe but as you say I can't see the same for like you say moving it from a Friday to a Saturday afternoon stroke Sunday yes but 
taking it off completely is it does seem odd, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Or um, if it's the match before the, before one of the legs move it you know, to the Friday or something. We've had mm. a few cases recently where there's been two matches on a Friday instead of one. Yeah. But you know, if they start if they do this now, they have to do it for everyone. And just mm. like the Gilets Jaunes and the you know the fuss about Montpellier, not um, PSG when PSG got that match postponed for the second time because they needed to go camel racing, things like that. <laughs> it's not fair on their opponents. It's not even fair on all the other teams as well because you mm. don't get an entirely fair sort of reflection of where teams right. are at. And um, if you're approaching the business end of the season and it does affect promotion and European places, I just don't think it's right. And no. just as a kind of corollary to this, if you're moving matches around for footballing reasons, fine. But they are also having to move matches for public order reasons, given that basically every Saturday afternoon, large quantities of France are kind of on the fire at the moment. Um, so they are trying to move matches away so that the forces of order can be dealing with, you know, stuff windows being kicked in rather than uh, policing a football match so the situation is even more complicated than it would normally be and that's ongoing and, isn't it we don't know how yeah, long that i i yeah you know, they they've moved into my quarter now because um uh the chamber of commerce have got private security in the center of town so now people are kicking windows in outside the center of town which is fabulous when you live outside the centre of town. Hmm. So, I mean, there is, there is going to be more of this, I'd yeah. say. We were nearly caught up. Um, I think only Dijon PSG, which is going to be played um, mid-March, was a catch-up game, and now we've got another one, and I'm sure there will be more, because it's basically every Saturday afternoon, yeah. early evening. Things it's disrupting the whole Saturday schedule, yeah. isn't it, at the moment, yeah. Yeah, it is weird because you, you're sort of seeing league on games all over the shop, and it's hard to keep keep tabs on on who's playing whom. Mm. Um, that kind of leads us nicely, actually, into the weekend's action, which we are gonna gonna kind of focus on on the bottom, if you will, um, from last weekend. We'll um, we'll start kind of in reverse order and work our way backwards. Uh, Jez, Monaco, um, <laughs> the Jardim effect, 10 points from four games. It's not the Jardim effect, it's the new players and the other players returning from injury affair. It's, it's almost like I set that up for you, wasn't it? It's almost <laughs> yeah. like I was waiting for that. Um, Out of the park. You are quite right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm beaten in four. Clearly, as you say, it, it's essentially a new In score. my opinion, anyway. I'm not oh, no, I, I, think it's, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't see any argument with it. Um, the only thing you probably would say is... We do have to give them some credit, don't we? I mean, they beat Leon, who, in my opinion, having watched it, looked like they'd rather be anywhere but Monaco. Clearly focused on Barcelona. Half the squad was missing. They got they took two injuries um, to Marcelo and Terrier, I believe. Marcel. Marcel. Marcel, sorry. Yeah, Marcel. Terrier. Um, don't know how long they're going to be out for. Memphis Depay came on, missed a penalty, standard. Uh, didn't particularly look bothered by it either. I'm sure he was too busy waiting to sign for a bigger club. Hint, hint. Uh, but yeah, I mean, leaving leaving Leon's performance aside, Monaco looked good, didn't they, overall, in, in this particular game? They did look good. But... should do. Yeah, exactly. You look, at, you look at the starting 11 and that's a very good team. So, yeah. and, you know, I, it's... 
it might sound very harsh, but it's not to that team's credit that they had a run-of-the-mill 2-0 win against a, a Lyon side who, as you said, were tired after a big match, were sort of in the middle of two big matches, had players out, had more players who went out during the match. Um, it's Monaco, we know perfectly well, this isn't a, a sort of fair reflection. Their position isn't a, a reflection of what they are as a club. That they, you know, they made big mistakes, which affected the first half of the season. But they'll be absolutely fine, and on paper, they are a sort of top three, top four team. So there, there is shame in the way that Lyon lost, but there isn't any shame in losing to to this Monaco Monaco team. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well put, and nice to see Jean-Michel Olas making friends at the end as well. That's uh, it's always fun to see. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, what uh, Phil, like you said yourself, okay, yeah, it is. It is a different Monaco side, and and like you say, you give credit where due, but you also sort of have a huge slice of caveat alongside it. Where do you see them finishing now? I mean, are we underpinning by saying? I mean, I think we're all agreed they're safe. They're now set on twenty-five points, a couple more wins, and suddenly you're looking at kind of top ten. Is that? Would that be a completely false finish? And will that kind of just sweep under the rug as they head into next season, where clearly they'll want to return to the upper sort of section and Champions League qualification? Does that almost kind of blow that, that wind away a little bit? Uh, I, I mean, they're playing Angers at the weekend. So it's away from home, isn't it, as well? Yeah, but that's never seemed to worry them as much as some other teams. Yeah. Um. I think they are, they're back on the horse. I mean, they're unbeaten in four. They will lose another game at some point. I think the important thing for them is that that loss does not become uh, kind of a harbinger of doom, as it were. So playing Angers is, you know, nice. Um, Yeah, they do seem to be just getting back to close to where they should be given the state of that squad and various uh, other issues on that front. So, I mean, that was a hell of a scare, though. And I think hopefully that will um, focus minds and attention in the club to kind of try to make sure that doesn't happen again. They made the change at the right time, didn't they? I think if they'd have left it any longer. Well, I, um, I don't know, because that whole bringing so many new players in and then just binning Henri before he had any time to work with any of them, yeah. who knows if they hadn't made that change. As Jess said, the January changes and people coming back from injury could have made the difference anyway. The injuries, so, that, was, that was a massive part of it. So it, many players are injured. It's been a very odd situation and um as Jez was tweeting about earlier this week um a group of uh legal managers have kind of got together to put out not a joint statement but similar statements about how Monaco approached the January transfer window and whether that is fair and that's you know that's a debate that's going to run and run Obviously, you have to think nothing will happen about it until the big clubs get on board with that. But they do have a point about the degree of movement, there, as they have always had about the degree of loan movement at Monaco, which makes their summer transfer window look like a, a departure latch. 
What was what what was that? Give us a bit of insight, Jez. That there's been some issues about this, the transfer window and how it's how it's been dealt with. Shall we say? Can you give us some sort of insight as to what you were mentioning earlier on? Well, there's several managers that have said that the fact that Monaco can, in the January transfer window, ship out nine players and bring in nine players doesn't exactly it, it sort of skews skews the league because it's something first of all it's something that most other teams can't do secondly you know, a team that faces first half of the season Monaco in Monaco say um, is going to be you know have a very different proposition in front of them than a team that is going to visit Monaco in the next couple of weeks for example um, so it's it's not exactly fair because in a way the players aren't all facing the same opposition um, and I think, which is sorry, I'm hesitating because there were two main points that were made. I can't remember what the second one was. <laughs> but um, I think there were a lot of a lot of managers were acknowledging, look, you know, the rules are the rules. That's how it is, and you know they'd be stupid not to take advantage of them. But maybe the rules should be changed, and at the very least, that you know the January transfer window is not going to be bins, but at least kind of put a limit to the number of players that you can bring in mm. and ship out. And I, I'm a bit torn on it. I mean. <laughs> The fact is, it's football. Football is not fair nowadays. It's not fair that PSG can spend 400 million on two players when no other team in the league can. It's not fair that Monaco can can send out 20 players and bring in 20 players in the summer window when most teams can't. But you know, no one's complaining about that. So you know, it's just the way it is. And, and teams, I guess, do have to you know lump it. There's not much they can do. But certainly, you know, it's it's Car and Amiens and Gagan and Dijon, the other teams that are, that are down there, if they stuff up their summer transfer window, they stuffed up their season. And it, it, it does feel a little unfair that that Monaco get get to give themselves a second chance. Yeah. But that's football, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah, I agree. It's 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 half and half, isn't it? Some would say, well, do your planning better and and have the right players at the start of the season. But as we all know, I mean, Monaco is a prime example. Yes, they've spent money and they had to, but a lot of that was also to compensate for injuries that they couldn't have expected they would get. Um, and and I suppose it just comes down to, I'm not sure where I sit on it. I, I do totally agree. I think maybe there should be a limit, and you should say, right, you're able to bring in you know, five, six players. But I do also have a feeling that it's a little bit maybe, well, what about us about this? You know, like, do you know what I mean? Just a little, hmm. something a little bit is a bit kind of whiny. But it's, it's another example of how certain clubs can play the market, either by having the money or having the connections. Mm. They brought in Silva, Nkudu, Vinicius, Martens, Vanka, Fabregas, Balotore and Naldo. Mm. It says here on LFP. They're all um, first team. They're all first team players, aren't they? They're not. Yeah, and casual. they've lost. Okay, Tiedemans, Traore, Torre, Barreca. Who's he? Pele. Who's he? Ibanaza, Badiashili, Grancia. All players. Jardim you know, wouldn't play. <laughs> all not first team players. Bench players, maybe, but mm. not starters. And so the ability to do that. And yes, most of those are loans, but that's another thing that they do. I know. With the, all the talk of the Chelsea transfer ban, there's been you know screenshots of all of their players who were out on loan going around, and it's basically ridiculous. It's you know it's fifty people. It's huge. Hmm. 
Monica has got a list like that, and that's with a league limitation on loan players. Mm. And so this is, it's even more in and out, in and out, connecting flights. Um, and so I think those managers do have a point. Like you say, you're working within a system, you know the rules. If somebody plays the rules, then all you're doing is whining. But looking at the rules, I mean, some teams are just doing this way differently than others. Mm. Um, not bringing in loan players to play, but as, in a sense, usable assets. Yeah, that that's a, it's a different way of dealing with uh, the transfer market. So, yeah, we'll wait and see. But it does look like Monaco are recovering. But yeah. I would argue whether it's the Jardim effect or whether it's January the transfers effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we the two two of the clubs that we do mention. Uh, there are the other two I want to sort of look at this week, which are Gangomp and Can't. Um, maybe an honourable mention for Dijon, who are right in it all of a sudden. Well, have been for a while. Can't, <coughs> um, uh, I, I felt for them. They were 1 0 up, uh, way it to lose. Even I raised an eyebrow when I saw it. Crivelli with the opener. Um, Diamond was sent off in the 90th minute. And in the 90th minute, Max Gradel equalised for Toulouse. It's kind of a result that doesn't really suit either because I think Toulouse would have looked at this as a home banker and they didn't win it. And Khan obviously would have looked at it as one they needed to win and throw it away at the last minute. Meanwhile, Gangon uh, actually got one of those things called a win um, thanks to <laughs> Luca Doe's last minute goal and, and much celebration. Uh, quite quite the uh, striking images going around as, as he put the ball in the net and the coaching staff went up and it was all lovely. Um, well, that doesn't change the fact that that's their first win in, in a while and they are still two points adrift in terms of the promotion relegation spot, let alone now six points adrift of 17th where Amiens sit. They, they are closer than they have been for a they while. They are. And you'd be surprised what a win like this does. I guess what I... I'll put this to you, Jez, first of all. Do, do you see either Khan or Gangon pulling their way out of this and in turn dragging the likes of Armian maybe to lose, maybe like we said last week, even up to as far as not, although they got a win this weekend. So probably puts breathing space, but is there, is there still life in, in the, in the, uh, the old dogs of Khan and Gangomp left yet? Or do you still think they're doomed? Um, I mean, despite them being two points further back, I, I kind of would, if I had to, to pick one, I'd, I'd put money on, on Gagon staying up rather than Khan, I think. But I feel like the um, uh, you know, we've established Monaco is safe. Toulouse and Nantes, I think there's just a little bit too too much there for, for the other teams to to, to pull back. Um, Toulouse, by the way, I mean, if, depending on your criteria for, for player of the season, but if it's kind of how... One one player entirely influences their team. For me, Graydale should be a shoe in for league out player of the season. Yeah, just a bit, yeah. God knows Wonderful. Where to do that was a superb free kick. I mean, to it do was. that, needing a point at right in the death, that was great and yeah. nonchalant almost in the way he delivered it. But yeah, go on. But yeah, I feel like however bad uh, Nantes certainly in terms of finishing are and Toulouse in general are. I just feel they've got just enough of a, of a sort of head start. And so I kind of fear that three of the bottom four 
will, I was going to say, go down. The two will go down. One will be in the playoff. So yeah, I, I can't see, I can't see Caen and Dijon getting out of that. And I do feel like Amiens, maybe even Dijon, have got a game in hand. Sorry, the Caen Gangon, Dijon. They're, I think they're the ones that are going to struggle the most. But yeah, I, I feel like Gangon possibly off the back of that win um, are actually as weird as it as it sounds. Um, maybe in a better place, sort of mentally, than than Kong could be right now. I could see them possibly edging out of that, but Amiens still getting those, those points. I think the main, you know, the, that that playoff place, I think, is so important now because it gives teams yeah. a second chance. So Gangon can sort of in their heads instead of saying shit, we're, we're six points from safety. Yeah, they can look at it. A we're two way. points from a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's almost like a. It's almost like a. Um, it's a free shot, isn't it? And and that. It's it's such a weird thing, football, in terms of confidence and belief and spirit. When you get a last-minute winner, um, I don't know what it is, but it, it's something about it. Just makes you think, do you know, what? we can do this. Yeah. Um, particularly when you've got a clean sheet to go with it as well. You know, you've kept the opposition out, and you've managed to go all the way to the end. You've shown spirit, you've shown character, and you've come away with the three points. And I guess it's going to depend on uh, without. Sort of, we're not going to sit here and run through all the fixtures, but it's going to be how they build on this now, isn't it? If, mm. if particularly for Gangon's side, they've got Nantes at home um, this weekend, which again you think, you know, that's doable. It is, and then ironically, they go away to Toulouse the following week yeah. before hosting Dijon. I mean, that's three massive fixtures. Whereas Caen got a horrible run of fixtures. Yeah, they, they have. They, yeah. Unless, they unless like the last at the weekend, which could. Although, judging by the last two seasons, maybe PSG will let Caen have a. Oh, yeah, that's that's a no, but Just um, was it? Uh, well, I say two or three games ago, depending on whether you're counting the calendar or the calendar, as it were. Um, I was watching Leon Gangon. I'm just thinking, you know, Gangon. I've got some very good players. Mm. You know, deserve more for that game as well, based upon what yeah. I saw. But... Just, just um, and. Uh, even Rue, Mendy, um, Dong, Luca Do, Marcus Coco. There's, there's good players there. Why are they so shit? And then they put together an attack which involved, I swear to God, half a dozen different individual errors which ended up going out for throw-in. And you're like, well, that's why. Mm. But they still managed to, I think, hit the bar late on and give Leon a scare. They're just horribly inconsistent mm. and well, Rue missed that set against Bordeaux as well that six if months. particularly given the run of games they've got coming up they can do something about that not to lose Dijon there's nothing actually to fear there no then they go to Strasbourg fair enough uh, no, they're at uh, they host Strasbourg but you know, they've got three games here where they could really do something, put something together. Mm. If they can do that, like Jess says, they might be okay. And let's say they take six points from those nine available, um, or even, you know, even five, majorly mm. seven. Suddenly the table looks very differently if can't yeah. go on the run that possibly they may well, do. Particularly yeah. because we think um, can't going to get absolutely shafted at the weekend mm. um, and checks Amiens are at Reims mm. at Reims 
So that's not going to be easy. No. Um, so, you know, there's, there's space for Gangomp to, as Joe says, that playoff place is key. Because if they can just get up to 18th, they give themselves a shot. Mm. And, you know... They're... At this stage, that's hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than thinking we're down and out. Six Whereas... Off. We just need two points and then we've got a hope is more psychologically... You know, comforting, maybe. Whereas Khan, I, I just can't. I, I, yeah, I just. Yeah. They don't score enough goals. They concede too many. They don't look organised. They just look a bit leader cannon fodder to me at the moment. Um, and Dijon, yeah, I mean a minus nineteen goal difference speaks for itself. Uh, again, only scored twenty goals. It just seems like a very different Dijon to last season. Uh, well, obviously it is, but and, and Omion, I guess, are the ones you need to look at. Yeah. I suppose but you look at that bottom four, and they've all got twenty or under. Yeah, scored. You look further up the table. Nice are in tenth with nineteen scored. Mm. And I it's, and I suppose it's all it's all about your timing. And when you look basically. when you look at Toulouse, I mean that there. That almost that gang on fixture is going to determine whether they're going to get dragged back in or not. Almost, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's plenty more games to go, but you it's not just the fact that if they lost that game, it's not just the three points, but it's the momentum that M word again, and it's that almost fear of yeah. oh, crikey, there's the team creeping up behind us, particularly with Monaco clawing their way back up the table. Mm. Yeah, it that's, kind yeah. of leaves a gap there, which means uh, the distance between 17th and 15th isn't. Mm that big we'll have to dig out fixtures at some point and have a have a look through them um but uh yeah that's that's the bottom end um we will just quickly run through the results from last week before we uh talk about one other piece of any other business and look ahead to next week um psg dispatched neem 3-0 two more goals for Kylian mbappe a man of the match performance from christopher and kunku uh including a goal and an assist from him uh nice to see him getting some minutes although i'd quite like it if he didn't get any more and then caught a ferry in the summer, but that's for a rainy day. Um, Amiens mentioned earlier on, crucial win for them against uh, Patrick Vera's niece, uh, Jurassi with the winning goal in that one. We mentioned the Gangon win against Angers. Phil Clojure's Montpellier oh, lost at home to Raf 4-2. Um, they actually took the lead uh, through Daniel Congre, but equalised through Odin. Uh, Odin and uh, Zanelli's penalty before Laborde got them level and then Odin and Chevalier with a late fourth securing the points. Um, we mentioned that big win for Nantes, Nicolas Pauwar with the goal there to beat Bordeaux, who are just having another one of those seasons where uh, they probably are safe but are not really registering on anybody's Richter scale. And as that, that their managing director and coach tonight. Does that happen tonight? Yeah, I haven't seen that. Okay, yeah. interesting. So they are now coachless and MDless. Interesting. Okay, maybe they could get a former Arsenal player to manage them because uh, that worked out quite well for Monaco. Maybe not. Um, they are already in who, who's the who's the front runner? Well, there's a rumor that it's Souza. I don't know. So I just thought Pua would be a great appointment. Yeah. Who we are going to come on to in a second. So yeah, that that would be a logical one. Um, Susan was linked with them before, wasn't he? Before they looked Possibly. at Henri, I think. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep our ear to the ground on that one. Um, 
to lose calm 1-1 as we mentioned uh leon and Mar- uh, sorry leon marseille and ren also drew one one all andre with the opener uh Germain with the leveler jordan lamarvi sent off for marseille in a game that marseille really didn't deserve anything from and yet again they got something from bizarre um and we mentioned monaco losing away uh, sorry, beating Leon, who lost away two goals to nil. Um, um, Saint-Etienne beat Dijon one nil away. And Friday. yeah, Strasbourg pulled one another one. one of the... Hey, look at us, we're kooky. 1-1 um, yeah. draw against Lille. But seriously, yeah. Strasbourg have lost to Angers, drawn to Caen, and now they draw to Lille. They... They they puzzle me, but I they're, like them. They're all sorts of bizarre, aren't they? At times, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, yeah, I forgot those Friday Friday evening games. So yes, um, okay. Uh, just before we um, have a look at next week's fixtures, um, I'll ask you both in this one. Claude Puel has uh, has parted company with Leicester City uh, or been sacked, whichever way you want to put it put it around. Um, Jazz, why why is why did he get so much stick? In, in the UK because I was one of the people that defended him at Southampton and did the same at Leicester. I know he's not the most charismatic of managers, but you know, that's not, that's not a sackable offense in itself. Do you get the feeling that maybe this was a bit of player power? Um, I thought Robert, whose comments were, were not the best on the radio interview he gave in the UK where he essentially threw the, the manager under the bus. We all know about uh, Mr. And Mrs. Vardy. Yeah, less said the better. Um, I think there's probably a lack of intelligence there more than anything else. Whoops, I went there. Um, do, you, do you feel that he's got a bit of a hard deal in his time in England in terms of what he's done for young players and, and what he actually achieved at both clubs? Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't, I don't follow it closely enough to be able to say what the issue is. But, you know, Southampton, they finished, what, seventh or eighth and got to a cup final and mm. got sacked. So, there are lots of people in Southampton saying, well, you know, you don't, you don't understand the football we were playing was so bad. They got to a cup final and they finished eighth. And look at the teams on top of them. I mean, there's a, you know, it's more than a glass ceiling. It's practically a diamond ceiling. You're not going to get, you're going to really struggle to get through that. Mm. Um, ironically, the one club, obviously, in recent years who did manage to get through that is Leicester. And as I think someone said, possibly they're going to be, you know, destined for a long time now to, to sort of keep, running through managers as they, they tried to recapture what they did a couple of years back when it really was a bit of a freak thing. Mm. Um, I, I don't watch Southampton week in, week out. I don't watch Leicester week in, week out. All I know is that fucking typically Brighton are playing them tonight. So, <laughs> um, so we're, we're already losing one now. Oh, is that already? Um, oh, dear. Yeah. Um, Standard. But I don't... I don't you know, Southampton definitely are just that mystified me. Leicester, it's it's bizarre because, you know, there's clearly been some really poor results and some poor play, yet they also beat Man City, I think, Man United, I think. They're that that yeah. run with me. Chelsea possibly as well. So Drew with Liverpool as well, way. Yeah. yeah, so they've had some really good results as well. And, you know, as, as, as ever in football, is it right that the players take the credit for those results and the manager takes all the stick for the, for the poor results? I don't know, but um, he definitely doesn't seem as appreciated in England as perhaps he should have done. And even at Leicester, he is bringing through some good young players, which has always been his strength and the thing that he's been known for, you know, right back to... 
Thierry Henry credits him with sort of helping him. I think at the time he was the sort of physical trainer and then became a coach at Monaco. But he says that a lot of, a lot of his breaking through was down to Puel. So mm. I think it just depends what you're looking for. Obviously, with a lot of clubs in England, I think more and more they're not interested in going to three weeks because they're all multi-millionaires. You know, Leicester, the amazing... Cinderella story they're still like in the top 20 richest clubs in the, in the world at the time they won the league so um you know why why bother investing in youth when you can buy mm. sure things so maybe just Premier League isn't the right place for Pharrell. I think yeah. um I I saw a tweet I forget who from but it was it's the first time he's been fired mid-season ever mm. because all of the other times it's been at the end of the season if it doesn't fit well well thank you for all you've done and thanks for bringing through the youth teams because it's been monaco lille Lyon, nice and that that's a good record a yeah. good record or 40 percent plus win ratios and it does feel a bit like like you say lack of charisma isn't a sacking offense well it feels like it maybe it is <laughs> you yeah. know He's not. He's not an up and atom kind of coach. He's he's a a manager. He's a tactician. He's a chess player. Mm. And if that isn't what the the players are in for, that isn't what the you know short termist uh, view of um, you know the management is in for, then fine. But um, we've now got. I saw another tweet from Jean earlier uh, in Ligue 1, Sixteen of the twenty. Managers are French. There are none in the Premiership, La Liga, Serie A, or the Bundesliga. Speaks volumes, doesn't it? I, I think as a, I mean, I, I find that quite a funny stat because obviously, yeah. first of all, it's massively skewed by Wenger, yeah, um, being there for, for so long. But also, um, you could probably do that for for a few of the the different nationalities, and you know, it does feel a bit cyclical and. It's not that, I don't think managers do sort of cross-pollinate as much as the players anyway. So um, I don't think it's something to, I don't think that, that's the fact that there's no French managers in the top four leagues is, is that much of a concern necessarily. worrying. Well, you know, Zidane's just won three Champions Leagues and Deschamps yeah, won the World Cup. So. <laughs> yeah, those guys are okay. Uh, yeah. I, I just think that as a again as a somebody who supports a team with a an equally um, sort of slightly dull manager in terms of you know Emery's press conferences are not exactly exciting doesn't really say anything he's very passionate on the touchline that's fine I also support a club whose fans seem to have this entitlement that we should be playing free-flowing football of the Invincibles era which was quite a long time ago now to the point where we're almost uh, rivaling Liverpool fans for revisionism but um, at the risk of sort of alienating an entire Leicester City supporting audience, which is probably one at most, I think there's a bit of a lack of intelligence in the modern day football fan in terms of the fact that everyone, particularly in England, I don't know what it's like abroad in terms of tabloids, but in England there is this obsession with style of football, style of play, attacking play, pace, all this. No, no. That is the obsession in England. And I, I think that Puel has almost... There's a degree of that. that elsewhere as well. I mean, you know, champagne football for Rouse. Hmm. I mean, we'd all prefer it. But, you know, if, if you win every game 
you know, again, speaking from a man who's supported a club who had George Graham in control once upon a time, it wasn't pretty, but we don't look back at the record books and go, oh yeah, do you remember that season, 1-0 to the Arsenal? God, that was dull, wasn't it? No, yeah, we look back and go, we won a title, you know? it's the, the problem is, if you don't win while playing like that, then that's fair, yeah. like that becomes the uh, thing that sticks in your head. But I think as a as a Leicester fan, I think you're never going to hit the, the heights you hit in that freak season. And I think any manager's no. on to so a height. So that means that you want to see, uh, as they did almost in the Champions League in mm. the season after, go out and have at them. Mm. That was fun. They knew they weren't going to win the Champions League, mm. but they showed up and they showed themselves and they and they played well. Mm. I think it's. If you're going to win, you don't care how you do it. But if you're not going to win, then there does become degrees between, well, you know, we've uh, secured the um, maintenance, maintien. Uh, we've, secu- we've, we've stayed up. Mm. As opposed to the clubs that were thinking we might get into the top three we might do you want to play you want them playing well like Montpellier at the moment are playing organized defensive football but with a twist last season it was mostly defensive they didn't score any goals this season we've gone from being second best defense in the league to being not in the space of two games thanks to PSG and and Rance kind of kicking the crap out of us but Everybody is behind that largely defensive organization because we know that is going to be what, if it happens, gets us into the European spots. Yeah. Yeah, If we were going for the title, we might be going, ah, somebody should be starting scoring. You know, it's, it's different. It is different depending on your expectations weighed against the reality. It's it's an intriguing one. It's it's one that will will probably run, but I hope to see Claude back in football sooner rather than yeah. later. He's one of the good guys, um, and I guess in uh, charge oh, of somewhere with a decent youth academy. Yeah, that would be he nice. Will make you know diamonds. And it is funny how Southampton aren't in any better spot two managers down the line than when he left them as well. Funny that. Yeah, funny. Um, um, but I guess oh, please God they go down because I'm quite. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and, and on the plus side, of course, at least uh, living in the UK, we will get treated once again to uh, to Alan Partridge, uh, as Brendan Rodgers has been uh, appointed the new Leicester manager. Oh, what? Uh, yeah, well, he's left Celtic. So, um, I, I and there's been a, a very interesting tweet from, have you seen this tweet from uh, Usman? Christ. Uh, not Usman, from um, Musa Dembele. Have you seen this tweet this evening? Mm. He he simply has stated it, it. Basically, Celtic have tweeted that they've announced that Brendan Rodgers will be leaving the club to join Leicester City. Full statement below. Musa Dembele has simply tweeted two hashtags. One simply states "I told you," and the other one states "And if you don't know now, you know." <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I think there's a little a little bit of shithousery in those tweets from Musa Dembele. Brendan there. Rodgers at Leicester. Yes, uh, I'm I sure he'll be getting his envelopes out and. Uh, yeah, telling us how um, defeats were the greatest days of his career and all that again. So we look forward to that. And of course, the white teeth. I can't uh, see yeah. Andrea Bocelli working with him. No, no, more like Happy Mondays. Uh, anyway, uh, that's for another podcast and another day. More <laughs> like Slipknot. Oh, see what you did there. That's <laughs> very good. 
That's very good. Very good. Yeah, I'm going to retire whole, right now. You wasted a whole new fan base. Absolutely well wasted. Done, everybody. Uh, anyway, next weekend. Uh, next weekend, Marseille Saint Etienne. Yes, that's um, going to be the one. That, that is the one. That's that. that's the evening game. Uh, Leon Toulouse for different reasons. In can Toulouse take advantage of a Leon side who blatantly will not be interested in that game whatsoever? Um, no. Nice Strasbourg. No. <laughs> nice Strasbourg. Nice can't win at home. Strasbourg like to play away. Angers uh, and Monaco because that is Monaco's big chance to continue their hoop up back the table. Absolutely. Gangop not we mentioned massive mm-hmm. for, for Gangop in particular, but if Gangop win massive for not all of a sudden. Um, mainly Marseille Saint Etienne because that should be just should be really fun. good fun. Mm. I think also Lille, thinking Lille red Dijon. card. Lille Dijon, yeah, it steps yeah. out as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Um Lille looking to get back to winning ways, Dijon. I think really Lille might absolutely hammer Dijon. Though. Yeah, there'll be goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think but Marseille Saint Etienne, I think there might be red cards and possibly punch ups and maybe fumi. Yeah, it could could be fun. Um, and of course, uh, yeah, Khan PSG on Saturday could be. A and for there. some reason, Bordeaux Montpellier is being played on Tuesday because I I uh, again I think that's Gillesian because football. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And, well, uh, Dijon against PSG is just too cool. Yes, in the Coupe yes. de France is that this evening. Yeah. So we yeah. have uh, previews up on the site of this game for from Tarek. We will have previews of tomorrow's games, which are, checks notes, uh, Renvi Orléans and Carnoel or OL Come. One way round. Those will be published tomorrow. And the third game, which is Vitre Nantes, is actually going to be next week. Due to again, uh, prefectural um, edicts, so we will have uh, previews of all of the Coupe de France quarterfinals up on the site. Uh, so check those out as well. Good stuff, and uh, we will be back next week. And um, we're still working out the finer details just for a change as to what day, but we'll be looking to preview the uh, the Ren games. We're going to try and work around Rich, um, and also, of course, PSG's return game at home to Manchester United, which we all hope will be a formality. But PSG being PSG, I'm sure it won't be. So we shall see what happens there. Uh, right, I think we'll draw a line under there because I know Jez is desperate to, to get off to watch Leicester Pummel Brighton, um, and uh, yeah, we've uh, we've all got things to do. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Much appreciated. Um, you can uh, obviously track all of our good stuff on the uh, the Twitter account and do check out those previews on the website. But for now, just remains for me to thank both Phil and Jez. Thank you for being here, peoples. Thank you. Okay. And uh, as I say, we'll be back next week to talk the European action. Until then, have a good weekend and enjoy your French football.